So with that said, if you would, read along with me. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you're with us this morning as we go over this important concept of sacrificial offering and uh, substitutionary atonement, Lord, that uh, we would understand through the Old Testament, that we would understand sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for us so much better, Lord. God, I pray that you just open up our our understanding of of some passages, Lord, that uh, I think um, we kind of read through not knowing the significance uh, they hold in pointing us to Jesus and pointing us to your Son and pointing us to the gospel and pointing us to the heart of who you are, God. I just pray, Lord, that you're with us, Lord. Help us see your character your grace and mercy, and and also your justice and holiness, Lord, and how those two things come together in a beautiful way, Lord, through your Son on the cross, dying for us. Be with us this morning, in your Son's name. Amen. Last week, we spent a lot of time on the Passover. We looked at uh, eight details that really explain uh, the Passover. Um, And I said last week, and I hope you're seeing that, that the Passover is really at the heart of the historical exodus, meaning the exodus out of Egypt, Israel leaving Egypt. And since exodus, as we've been seeing week after week after week, is all about revealing God's name, revealing who God is, revealing the character of God, the Passover is at the heart of who God is. The sacrifice of the Passover lamb really reveals so much It reveals who we are, and it reveals who God is. And so this is an extremely important passage in in Scripture, and I've said this last week, and I think it's true, that there's probably no other passage um, or no other event that happens in Scripture next to the cross that reveals God and reveals us better than the Passover. So today I want to do something a little different. I want to spend some time looking at the Passover in this next few weeks. But I, I want to just kind of walk through the sacrificial system of the whole Old Testament this morning and just get a get deeper understanding of why animal sacrifices. I think it's confusing to a lot of Christians. And I want to start, not necessarily in Exodus, but in the beginning. So if you would, turn to Genesis 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, verse 1. We've gone through these three chapters so much um, as a body, but to understand really scripture, you need to know these three chapters well. Genesis 1, verse 1, should be familiar to all of us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he did this, of course, by speaking. Day one, he spoke light into existence. Day two, the heavens, he separated them. Day three, earth and vegetation. Day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five, swarms and swarms of living creatures, birds and sea creatures. Day six, animals. And lastly, man, which became the pinnacle of his creation. 
fact, when you read about the creation narrative in chapters 1 and 2 with man, the Trinity personally came down and formed man from the ground and breathed life into him, made man in his image. In fact, look at Genesis 1, verse 26. Verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us, that's the Trinity. It's almost like he's having this, this conversation with himself. Let us, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Nothing else was made this way. Everything else was made by God's authority. God spoke it into existence. But, but man, he communes within the Trinity and comes down and forms man personally out of his love and affection. And let us, let them, that's man, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him male and female he created them now look at verse 28 listen to this and God blessed them did you see the goodness of God in the creation of man I think we skip over this and we read through it too quickly sometimes that's why I go over it and over it and over it and over it and God blessed them And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God made man last. God made man well. And God gave man everything. Look at verse 29. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seeds, seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with, with seeds in its fruit, you shall have them for food. We know there is one stipulation. There is one tree. Don't eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, Genesis 2.17 says, For on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The penalty for eating from this one tree is death. And God made that very clear. And on day seven, God rested and enjoyed his creation, his fellowship with man. He enjoyed his creation. Listen to Genesis 1.31. I just love this. And, and he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This was paradise. It was very good. Man, fellowshipping with God in paradise. Man walked with God. Man talked with God. Lived in peace, comfort, joy, and satisfaction in the presence of the glory of God. And then we get to Genesis 3. Listen, to understand the Passover, to understand the sacrificial offerings in the Old Testament, to understand the gospel, to understand Christianity, you have to know what's going on in Genesis 3. The fall of man. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Eve sees the goodness of God. She recognizes it there. Any tree we can eat from. But God said, 
you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. There's one tree, one tree, and Eve understood the penalty of eating from that one tree. The penalty was death. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. In other words, she sinned. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. This is the fall of man. This is why the world is the way it is. If you're asking when you watch the news why society is the way it is, why the world is the way it is, this is the answer. Genesis chapter 3. Now look at verse 7. It's so important, I think we just skip over this verse. Maybe because we don't understand exactly what's happening, but, but this is right after this major event. In fact, if you had to get, like, the three or four most important events in Scripture, this would always be one of them. (laughs) Verse 6, right? Now look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked. This is meant to be contrasted with Genesis 2, 25, before the fall, before sin, which said, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Before sin, there was no shame, there was no guiltiness. After sin, the innocence that Adam and Eve had before chapter 3 was gone. They, they knew evil intimately. Their innocence was replaced with shame and guilt, and not the feeling of guilt, right? We live in this world that when we hear guilt, we just think of the feeling of guilt. Their, their, their innocence was replaced with shame and true guiltiness. They were guilty. Innocence was replaced with a sin nature with condemnation. And what's the first thing they did? Again, this is so important. In this new state of fallenness, and I, again, I think most people overlook this. Look at verse 7. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What are they trying to do here? Trying to cover their nakedness, right? trying to cover their shame and guilt. Again, true guiltiness. But what's the problem? What was the penalty of sin? Genesis 2.17 again said this, For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 3.3, You shall not eat of any fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Ezekiel 18.20, The soul who sins shall die. Die, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. The price, the wages of Adam and Eve's sin was death. There was no death involved in making loincloths from fig leaves. They sewed fig leaves together thinking, well, this will cover my nakedness. This will cover our shame and, and guilt. Maybe God won't notice. Maybe God will just forgive us. Again, that's a lie from Satan. 
that guy, a God can just forgive you. Remember Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The loincloths really exposed Adam and Eve's heart. They, they didn't think their sin was that bad. But it was. Think about it. That one sin, that, that treason, that taking the goodness of God and just throwing it away. I don't care if it was just eating an apple in, in, its, in its action. The next chapter, Eve's son kills her other son. And then from that, that point on, just sin and evilness and wars and, and hatred and, and racism and all types of ugliness that's come from this one sin. The sin was costly. In fact, I think it was a sin and offensive to say we can cover up our sin and guilt with leaves. Now turn to Genesis 3 verse 20. Genesis 3, verse 20, says this, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And, listen to this, again, we just skip over this. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And there's couples of differences between the, the garments of skin and the loincloths. First, who made them? The loincloths, Adam and Eve made them. It was man's effort to cover up their sin and guilt. It was man's works. Who made the garments of skin? It came from God. Look at verse 21 again. And the Lord God made. This tells us that salvation comes from God alone. There's a second difference between the loincloth and the garments of skin, right? animal had to die for the garments of skin. We think about this. Adam and Eve at this point have never seen death ever in anything. They've never seen a bug die. This is their first exposure to death. The penalty of of sin is death. As soon as you eat it, there's going to be death. And, And the first thing that they see is God slaughtering an animal, I'm guessing a lamb, us skinning that animal you ever gone hunting and skinned an animal it's a messy process and covering their nakedness with the skin this is just vivid imagery right no fig leaves could cover sin and guilt only death the penalty of sin is death remember what we just read in exodus 12:13 the blood the blood of the Passover lamb. The blood represents the life of the lamb. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, right? A sign that the penalty of sin is death. Just a side note, I think it's important. What do the loincloths made of fig leaves represent in our lives? You know what they represent? They represent good works. We think we can just cover up our sin, right, our guiltiness, by doing some good works, by going to church, by tithing, by giving to the poor, maybe reading your Bible here and there, saying a prayer, being a good citizen, not cheating on taxes, your spouse, not cheating, not murdering anyone. All loincloths. And don't get me wrong, those are all good things, but the penalty of sin 
is death. We need a covering. We need an atonement. We need a sacrifice. Listen, good works won't save you. No matter how many good works you do, there needs to be death. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We see this from the very beginning, but it keeps going. Turn to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. The very next chapter. It says this in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In other words, he planted plants. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. In my opinion, this was like the fig's leaves. There was no death involved. Right? No shedding of blood in this offering. Now look at verse 4. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Meaning there was death and sacrifice in this offering. Look what it says. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. I think you're starting to see a pattern here. I know that's kind of debated in this passage, but we do see a pattern. If you would turn to Genesis 8, verse 20 now. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, just to give you the context, this is right after the flood. Man is just so evil that God says, I'm taking him out. And so God floods the whole earth in judgment. And he saves one family, Noah and his family. And after the flood, this is what happens, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, it's interesting, we don't see this in English, but there's a a word that's normally used for burnt or burning in Hebrew. The the word in Hebrew means burn completely, or or better yet, burn to destroy. And and it it means that because that's what fire does, right? We're from California, we get that, right? It destroys. But in verse 20, there's a different Hebrew word that's used that's that's not normally used for burnt or burning, a different word. In fact, every time you see the phrase burnt offering, this different word is used. The word burnt has the same word, this different Hebrew word, has the same root word um, that's used in incense. In other words, it's, it's a burnt offering in it, and this emphasizes the animal being transformed into incense or into a pleasant aroma. The flesh is, is being transformed into to incense from, from flesh to a pleasant aroma that it sends to God. Again, look at verse 21. It says this, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Let me just kind of give an example of what this word is used for in, in an analogy or a, a, a similar circumstance. If you, if you have a candle, if you burn a candle... You're not trying to destroy that candle. You're trying to transform it into a pleasant-smelling aroma. That's kind of what this word means in Hebrew. 
It's the same here. The sacrifice is being transformed into a pleasant aroma that ascends to God. And I believe this tells us two things. First, for man to be accepted and even pleasing to God, there must be a transformation that happens in him. From one thing to something completely different, from flesh to a a pleasing aroma, from sin, a sin nature, to sanctification or to holiness. And I think Paul picks up on this in the New Testament. Romans 12, 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So there's this analogy with the burnt offering, right? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, like a pleasant aroma, which is your spiritual worship. Now listen to this, because how do you do that? Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't be conformed to this world as who we used to be before we were saved. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed into something different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. And listen to this, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, a pleasing aroma to God lives. So the first thing I think the burnt offering tells us is that from, for man to be acceptable and even, even pleasing to God, there must be a transformation that happens in man's life. But the second thing that it tells us, the burnt offering, is that the only way to ascend into the presence of God is through sacrifice. After the sacrifice, the animal would be transformed from flesh to smoke, and that smoke would ascend into the heavens. A pleasant aroma to the Lord, and that only happens through sacrifice. That only happens through death. Again, let me read Genesis 8.20. It says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and, and every clean bird and offering and burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma... The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. God's grace is poured out on mankind after smelling the pleasing aroma through sacrifice. And this keeps going. Turn with me to Genesis 22 verse 1. Again, this is a familiar passage to most of us, Abraham and Isaac. God asks Abraham to offer Isaac as an offering, as a sacrifice. What's interesting is this passage is so closely connected to the Passover in Exodus, the the passage we're in, that many Jewish historians and theologians from antiquity just called this the first Passover. In fact, the the Passover is considered the second Passover, right? Let me just read along, and I think you'll pick up on it. Genesis 22, verse 1 says this, And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. Now, Abraham knew exactly what, what God was asking him. He was asking him to sacrifice his son, to kill his son as a burnt offering to God. 
And look at verse 3, and this is remarkable. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he went. Abraham, in other words, just listened to God. Why? Because Abraham had faith in who God was. He trusted God. He knew the character of God. Abraham understood that God is just. In other words, he demands a payment for sin. He cannot just overlook sin. He cannot just forgive. He demanded a a payment for the sins of the family. He knew that the payment could only be death. Uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But Abraham also understood that God is merciful. He knew somehow God would show mercy on his son. He was confident in that, as we see in this narrative. He didn't know how these two things came together. He just obeyed. He trusted the goodness of God. He didn't know how God could be both just, who by no means clear the guilty. His son deserved to die. And merciful, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins. Somehow he's going to show mercy. Somehow he's going to forgive. He had a guess, and we see this in the New Testament. Hebrews eleven nineteen says this. He, this is Abraham, considered, this is his guess, that God was even able to raise him, that's Isaac, from the dead. Abraham thought that, that God's mercy would raise Isaac from the dead. Look again, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men and with him his son Isaac and cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. That's plural, meaning both of us will come back. He had faith. Listen to verse six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, Isaac, laid it on Isaac, his son. Now, I just want to be clear, for a burnt offering to, to burn the whole animal, you had to have a lot of wood. It's very heavy. So why lay it on Isaac, his son? There's really a simple answer. Isaac was much stronger than Abraham. Abraham, at this point, was a very old man, well over 100 Isaac was probably an older teen, or most likely, if you look at the, the, the timetable in Genesis, in his early 20s. Either way, old enough to know exactly what was going on and strong enough to stop it. When you think about that, that really changes the dynamic of the story. Look at verse 6 again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, and both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, or to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? This tells us that that Abraham and Isaac have done this often. God has asked them to make sacrificial offerings often, because Isaac knew exactly what was going on. That also tells us Isaac knew exactly what was going on. He just had one question. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. 
So they went, both of them, together. God will provide for himself the lamb. Right? That takes us back to Genesis 3, does it not? God will make the covering. He's the one that made the garments of skin for Adam and Eve. And Genesis 22, God will provide for himself the lamb to cover our shame and guilt. Look at verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And it was an interesting question. How could a hundred-year-old man bind his son up? A strong young man, again, who carried the wood up the mountain. How did Abraham bind up Isaac? This is how. Isaac was a willing sacrifice. He trusted his father. Let me just ask a question. Does that sound familiar? Isaac was a type of Christ. Thousands of years later, Christ carried his wood up a mountain, the cross, willingly in obedience to his father, saying, not my will, but thine be done. Look at verse 10. And Abraham reached out in his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a, a thicket and uh, with his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. In other words, the ram took the place of Abraham's firstborn son so that God's wrath would pass over Abraham. In other words, the ram atoned for the family's sin. Do you see the connection now to the Passover? Exodus twelve twelve again, what we read to start with, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, the blood, right? The sacrifice, the blood of of the Passover lamb, the blood shall be a sign for you, right? How bad your sins are on the houses where you are, are, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Why? Because the lamb took the place of the firstborn son. The lamb atoned for the sins of the family. This is substitutionary atonement. Because the lamb covered the shame and guilt of the Israelites. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will, will befall you to destroy you. All leads up to one very, 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 very important verse in Genesis chapter 22 that gives us insight on the Passover sacrifice and really gives us insight on all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And that's verse 14. Chapter 22, verse 14 says this. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. Now, that's interesting. Listen to what it says. The Lord will provide, not the Lord has provided. Verse 14, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, 
it shall be provided. It's a side note. It's this mountain or one of the mountains surrounding that area right there where Christ was sacrificed thousands of years later. I don't know what Abraham knew, but it seems like he understood that the ram really just pointed to a greater sacrifice. Yet to come, the Lord will provide a sacrifice that that will truly atone for sins. In other words, the ram was just a a symbol, a shadow of a reality to come, a a sacrifice that will truly atone for sins. And this leads us to our next major sacrifice, the Passover. And I going to spend more time. We spent a lot of time last week. We'll spend more time in the Passover next week and the week after that. But, but again, the Passover is at the heart of Exodus. Real quick, each household would kill a lamb. They would paint that blood on the doorpost. When God saw the blood, his wrath would pass over the household. That's where we get the name Passover from. Therefore, the, the purpose of the Passover is the same as Genesis 3, right? In the garden. The same as Genesis 8 with with Noah. The same as Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac. To save God's people from God. God's wrath. Because God is just and holy and the penalty of sin is death. The purpose of the Passover was to atone for sins, to pay the price. The purpose of the Passover lamb was to protect Israel from God. Save Israel from a just and holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin. This is the heart of the gospel. If you want to understand what happened on the cross, you have to look at the Old Testament and understand what, what leads up to it. Now turn with me, because again, we're going to spend a lot of time back in Exodus chapter 12, but but I, want to, I wanted to pull back and kind of see where chapter 12, the Passover lamb, fits into the Old Testament sacrifices as a whole. And this keeps going. It doesn't stop with the Passover lamb. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. This is the very end of Exodus. We'll get there one year. And I'll just preach the same sermon as you guys will forget by then. So just joking. Exodus 40, verse 34. Exodus 40 is the last chapter. This is the last little bit of Exodus. And the context, let me just give you real quick, is uh, well over the Passover. Right past that, they've been in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. There's all these amazing things that happen. Moses has been interacting with God. Moses, it says, would speak to God face to face at points. And at the same time, it says Moses came and look at God. (laughs) Talk about how that is. get to the end of Exodus and and Israel's learning how to be the people of God, right? God's people. They had to learn this and that's the whole Pentateuch as they're getting ready to go to the promised land. They're learning how to be God's people. One of the first things they did, which God told them to do and gave them the instructions to do it, was to build a tabernacle which was kind of like a portable temple where God's presence would be in in this contained spot. God's omnipresent but there was like this special preference presence within the tabernacle or the temple throughout the history of Israel. And so they build this tabernacle and there's all these instructions that we're going to go over once we get there. But look at verse 34. It says this, and the cloud covered, this is after it was built, and the cloud covered the tent of meetings, it's a tabernacle, 
tent of meetings, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, this is really good news. Because for the first time since the garden, God's special presence, God's dwelling place was on earth with man, with his people. This is like one step closer to the garden, right? And that's where we're going. The revelation, and you just see all these imageries of the garden and what it was like just in a grander scale. One step closer, God's God's here on earth. There's a special presence in the, the tabernacle. There's one major problem. Look at verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meetings because the cloud settled on it glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's a major problem. Not even Moses, not even Moses could enter. As you follow the narrative of the Pentateuch, it's the first five Bible, or uh, books of the Bible, Moses is the one that wrote all of them, and they call him the Pentateuch. If you follow this narrative, which is what we've been doing from Genesis through Exodus, and you get to this verse, this would have been shocking and disappointing. It would have been shocking that Moses, of all people, Moses could not enter the tent of meetings. It leads to a question, if Moses can't enter it, who can? How can man ever hope to return to the garden if man can't fellowship with God? If man can't, can't be in the presence of God? major problem. That's how Exodus ends. Ends in a dilemma. Ends with a problem. It really ends incomplete. Because the Pentateuch's one big story. It's not just a bunch of smaller stories and a bigger story. Verse 35 really points us forward to the book of Leviticus. Again, verse 35 says Moses was not able to enter the tent of meetings. That's a major problem, but the answer to this problem is found in Leviticus. And what's the answer? Well, it's the same answer we've seen throughout. Sacrificial offerings. Look at Leviticus chapter 1. Just turn the page. Just look at the heading. In, in my scripture, in my Bible, the heading, which is not inspired, but gives you kind of a, what's going on in this passage. Chapter 1 says the heading, the laws of the burnt offerings. Here's all these laws for the burnt offerings. The same type of offering Noah gave after the flood. In Genesis 8.20 says this, And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. It's the same type of offering Abraham gave instead of Isaac. Genesis 22.1, After these sayings, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him at, there as a burnt offering. Chapter 1, the laws for the burnt offering. Look at chapter 2, the heading of chapter 2. The heading says grain offering. And if you know how the Leviticus system works, or if you look, go through Scripture, the grain offering is always connected to the burnt offering, meaning the grain offering is always connected to a sacrificial offering, an animal dying. Turn to chapter 3. The heading is uh, the peace offering, sacrificial offering. Turn to chapter 4. The heading is the sin offering. 
if you keep turning the end of chapter 5, there's a heading, at least in my scriptures. Again, none of these are inspired, but I tell you what's going on. In the end of chapter 5, we have the guilt offering. It's through these sacrificial offerings man could have fellowship with God. Right? Again, Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And without forgiveness of sin, without atonement, there is no fellowship with God. It's only through sacrificial offerings, atonement for sin, that man could have fellowship with God. Now turn with me to Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. I know we don't spend very much time in Leviticus, but we are today. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. It says this. Now, now think of the significance of this verse. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. This is after all the instructions of how to do these offerings. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burn offering and the peace offering. That's the correct order, by the way. I'd love to get into it, but we're not going to this morning. These are the offerings that we see in chapters 1 through 5 and really chapters 1 through 8. And then in verse 23, it says this. Listen, Aaron, or Moses and Aaron, went into the tent of meetings. It's only through sacrifice this was possible. They entered the tabernacle. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Verse 24, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering pieces of fat and on the altar and when all the people saw it they shouted and fell on their faces it's kind of like you want to be there and not want to be there at the same time <laughs> these offerings the sin offering the burnt offering the peace offerings really are the backbone of israelites identity in the old testament sacrificial offering in the old testament really became the air the Israelites breathed, hundreds, thousands, millions, and millions of lambs and animals sacrificed, slaughtered throughout the Old Testament to atone for Israel's sins, to make fellowship with God possible. Which leads to the keystone event of the sacrificial system. It's right in the middle of the book of Leviticus, which highlights the importance, like in Hebrew literature, it's not the end of the story that is important, it's the middle of the story. Uh, we're always about the end of the story. Like the middle of the, the story is always the most important place, and that's where we find the Day of Atonement. Listen, in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement became the heart of the Israelite, Israelites' calendar. The Passover was the beginning of the calendar, and it pointed to this new creation. The Day of Atonement was the heart of the calendar. It really was the heart of Israel's year of life. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring an animal into God's presence and sacrifice it as a sin offering for the whole nation. Turn with me to Leviticus 16, verse 15. Leviticus 16, verse 15. says this, And he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is, for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat, right? This is inside the tabernacle. Just think about how amazing that is. 
in itself. It's cleansing the tabernacle through the blood of sacrifice. And that's how you cleanse things in the Old Testament is through blood because that pointed to a sacrificial atonement. And that's exactly what it says because verse 16, this is why. Well, thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleansingness of the the uncleansness of the people and because of the transgressions of their sins. Again, Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Therefore, to fellowship with God, there needs to be forgiveness of sins. There needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be shedding of blood. Now, here's a progression that I want you to see here. That we've walked through all of this from Genesis all the way through Leviticus. In, in, in Genesis 22, we see that God is providing a lamb for one person, Isaac. Abraham sacrificed the lamb in the place of his son, Isaac. And in Exodus 12, the Passover, God provided a lamb for each household. Every family offered a lamb to God. And you get to Leviticus chapter 16, the day of atonement. God provided a single animal to atone for the sins of a nation, all of Israel. And then you get to the Gospel of John one twenty nine. It says this, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Listen, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament did one thing. They pointed to the true Lamb of God. The animal's skin to cover Adam and Eve's guilt. The animal's offered... After the flood by Noah, the ram caught in the thicket that took the place of Isaac, the hundreds of lambs killed during the Passover, the millions and millions of lambs killed for burnt offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings throughout the whole Old Testament. The lamb killed once a year on the Day of Atonement to atone for Israel's sin. They all had one purpose, and that was to point Israel forward, the true Lamb of God. John 1, 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As I walk through all of this, that, that we understand as we're going through Exodus chapter 12, that the Passover points us to Jesus. The Passover points us to Jesus. It pointed Israel to Jesus. It pointed Egypt to Jesus. The heart of who God is. Remember, this is revealing God's name, the name Yahweh, at the, at the center of what it means that God is Yahweh, is Jesus. And what Jesus did on the cross. So let me just end here this morning. If you would, turn to Hebrews 10, verse 3. I want to end on this thought, and I want you guys to see this. Hebrews 10, verse 3. says this but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year I just want you to think about that as you go through the whole Old Testament it's just animal after animal getting slaughtered every time just a reminder of how sinful we are but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin 
Like you just had to keep doing it because it, it didn't work. It didn't take away sins. It never was meant to take away sins. Now skip down to verse 11. It says this. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. It was an endless job. He stood up, sacrificing over and over and over and over and over again. His whole life. Millions and millions and millions of lambs throughout the history of Israel. Endless job, and it never took away sins, because that wasn't his purpose. Look at verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, in other words, his death on the cross, listen, he sat down. Meaning it is finished. There's a reason why we don't sacrifice lambs anymore. We have the reality. We look back at what Jesus did. His sin atoned for sins. He sat down. The, the priest stood, and it was an endless job, but, but when it was finished, he sat down at the right hand of God. Look at verse 14. For by a single offering, he had perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament did one thing, and that was point us, point Israel, point everyone to Jesus who is the reality, who is the true Lamb of God, who is the true atonement for sins. Again, Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sins is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no forgiveness of sins unless there's, there's faith in Christ and the sacrifice he has done for us on the cross. Eternal life, salvation is only found in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the true Lamb of God, the true sacrifice. It's only through his blood that we have forgiveness and therefore offered fellowship with God. And I would just say this, if you don't know Jesus this morning, you've never put your faith in him, do that. God is offering eternal life through Christ, the true Lamb of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm just thinking of Deuteronomy 29, 29 right now, which says the secret things belong to you, Lord. There's so many things we just don't understand, Lord, in, in this world, in, in, in Scripture, Lord. There's so many things that are beyond us because you're a God that's infinitely beyond us, Lord. The secret things belong to, to you, Lord, but, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, Lord. We are responsible for what you have revealed in scripture to understand it to know it to worship you and praise you through it Lord that includes the Old Testament that even includes the Pentateuch like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers Lord I just pray God that you reveal truth to us through your word and that leads to worship God I thank you for providing a way back to the garden a way back to fellowship with you cost your son but you are willing to sacrifice your son Lord for us to your glory God I pray that just amazes each one of us God in your son's name